Welcome to Project Chatter, the podcast where PPM experts from various sectors talk about the latest trends. Listen to Val and Dale as they talk about tried and tested best practices and share their unfiltered thoughts about the industry. Whether you're here to learn how to progress your career, improve your project control skills, or just want to hear an Aussie and South African rant about projects, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Project Chatter podcast with your hosts, Dale Fung and Val Matthews. This podcast is brought to you by Plan Academy. Plan Academy is the world's leading learning site for anyone working in construction, project management, or project controls. At Plan Academy, you learn construction, planning, and scheduling theory, how to master scheduling software like Primavera P6, and even advanced construction scheduling techniques. Plan Academy's courses are 100% online and at your own pace. You can learn at the office, at site, from home, anywhere. Check out planacademy.com today for free sample lessons and tons of free video. Hey everyone, this episode is brought to you by justdo.com. Justdo is a great business and project management tool we've been using here at Project Chatter. I agree, Val. I like to keep things simple and Justdo is perfect for that. But I do know it's got a lot of powerful functionality as well. And one of my favorites is the task-specific chat. Absolutely. And for all you slackers, don't wait for Monday. Check out justdo.com. Now on with the pod. Hello, project people, and welcome to Project Chatter Podcast. I'm Val Matthews, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Dale Fung. Hey, Val. Hi, everyone. In this episode, we talk to Diana Nguyen. Um, Welcome, Diana. Hi. Thanks for having me on. On this pod, we'll talk to Diana on resilience, communication, amongst many, many other topics. Um, But before we do, here's Dale and Diana with her bio. Thanks, Val. Um, as, as you say, um, Dale and Diana with her bio, because I don't have Diana's bio. The main reason being is, um, you know, if, if you listen to Diana's story, I don't think anyone tells her story as well as she does. Um, so we're going to switch it up uh, for this part. And instead of me going through the guest's bio, um, Diana's here to, to give us her origin story. So Diana, if you would welcome to the pod and um, we'd love to hear your origin story and, uh, you know, um, get a view into your life. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. I feel like I'm part of the podcast. I'm the three co-hosts. Yes, so my name is Diana Nguyen. I'm an actor, comedian, comedian and a creative entrepreneur here in Melbourne, Australia. And I've been working in my industry for 15 years uh, as an as a creative. And it wasn't until I got into LinkedIn three years ago that I realized that all my life I've been an entrepreneur, but in the creative field, because I I'm always creating and making work, but I just didn't understand what that meant. Uh, so I, I I dance on LinkedIn. I'm a bit of a, a bit of a dancer and um, have really shifted a platform where it is professional, and just said, you know what, let's have fun, and um, you know that led to uh, my TED talk uh, earlier this year where I talked about you know finding the joy in life and you know finding the joy in business and what makes us go to work every single day. And the only reason why I would go to work is if there was joy. So mm-hmm. um, that's my little origin story. <laughs> it's huge. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to, uh, talking to you guys more about uh, my work and how I've transformed that to where I am today. No, that's fantastic. Thanks very much for sharing that. And um, you, you mentioned TEDx there. 
And, um, you know, if anyone goes ahead and just kind of Googles your looks on YouTube, they'll find that talk. I wonder if you can kind of just explain that experience, how you got there, how you, what, what you actually spoke about and, you know, what everyone related to. Cause I think there's some, um, you know, uh, the story you told there, I think will resonate with a lot of people as well. Um, particularly on, on, on your past and your upbringing. Um, and that will lead us nicely into resilience as well. Um, so yeah, I wonder if you could, could share some. Yeah, so, you know, a TED Talk was never on my bucket list because I'm, I'm a performer, like standing on stage as a comedian is my natural space or being on TV as an actor. Uh, so when I was approached to do my TED Talk, it was like, okay, I'll give it a go. And I realised that for two to three months I tried to escape that I was doing a TED Talk because I was really afraid of writing my story. And, you know, we talked about origin story, about why you do what you do, because I realised if you look at the TED Talks, it is a legacy. You're leaving your story uh, to, TED, to a TED Talk YouTube space where they, can, they can't take it down. So this story is your legacy that people will know you for when they go and click on it. It's forever, right? So it's forever. Is that what you're saying? Oh, right. Yeah. yeah that's, that's nerve wracking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so usually when I perform live, you can, you know, perform live and everyone forgets the next day, but because with video these days, it's all captured. So, mm. you know, um, you can go click on it. It's called uh, joy is my caffeine joyful with a double O L and um, behind the scenes, probably two weeks before my TED talk, Uh, I had imposter syndrome, like massive imposter syndrome. I was crying nearly every day because, one, I couldn't escape this. I was locked into this TED Talk. And number two, I was like, what's, what, what am I? And it was the craziest thing, like, you know, when you've worked your whole life in something and then you're made to investigate why the fuck you do it? Yeah. Yeah. So, So for the listeners, what's, what's imposter syndrome? Just, just in case no one knows what that is. Oh, imposter syndrome. And I've only learned it when I've been on LinkedIn. I just thought imposter syndrome is when you had no confidence. You've had, mm. you know, the second person in your brain telling you your shit. Um, but imposter yeah. syndrome is a normal feeling where people have about themselves where they don't think they're good enough and they've faked it till they've made it. Mm. And this, this is now where people catch them. Like this is where people go, ha, I got you. You're an imposter. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, that, that happens everywhere in business and, and on stage. How, how did you deal with that? I, I videotaped myself. I documented the journey and videotaped myself crying a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you videotaped yourself crying? <clears throat> is yeah. that something you did? No, it is. I put it on LinkedIn. Oh, oh, oh geez, you did. Yeah, I, this is the thing about my LinkedIn. I, we haven't gone into my TED Talk yet, but the one thing that I do on LinkedIn is I, I talk about behind the scenes because mm. I feel like business, we're really good at showing the, the final product, mm. the, you know, the polished gym. But yeah. really what we really love is the unpolished gym. Like we love the edges. We love, you know, sharp bits as well. And we love the smooth bits. And so I, with my personal branding, I've, given a fulfilled experience of what it is to like to run a business. Um, and so 
oh no, the day of my TED talk, we're finally getting there now. I gave you the behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. Um, yeah, when it came to my TED talk, like I think it was two days before the TED talk, I had to come up with a title. Um, and like, to be honest, when I did my TED talk, half of that was um, just r- flow. Like I had points in my head, but half of it was just me going with the flow. Um, and it, the TED Talk was talking about joy and um, how the art saved my life. And as I said before, I've been in this industry for 15 years. Uh, I went to university and studied it, but I just didn't understand why I did it. And usually when, you know, you go out of university, um, the aim of being an actor is to be famous, you know, to make money, to have the fame. But over the years, I knew there was more of a purpose to why I became a performer. And um, when I was writing the TED Talk, I found it, and it was because um, dancing on LinkedIn, um, standing up and telling jokes or, you know, dancing with children in my life gives me joy. And it allows me to breathe. Joy allows you to breathe. It reminds you of your childhood and so I, I tapped, I, I tapped into my story of that this one moment when um, my parents were separated and we were living in a nunnery, and um, you know I'd seen domestic violence between two people who were meant to love each other, and here we were in a nunnery, and I had moved schools, and I was facing racism, and there was all this stuff, and the one thing that saved my life. And I remember that, you know, helped me be who I am was classical music floating into the garden. And, like, we followed that music to the community hall next door and it was ballet classes. And because my mother saw the joy in me, she put money in when she couldn't afford to to give me joy every, every week. You know, and ballet is not a, a cheap sport to pretend to. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so that's what I talked about in my TED Talk was um, realising that period in my life as a child of joy and how I've applied it every day in my life um, to bring joy into my life. And I think people, what we forget is that um, we're, we're on this like robotic journey. Like we've got diaries, we've got our phones, things tell us what to do. But when you do something spontaneous and you have a giggle, you, there's a massive shift in you and you just need to do that for one minute a day. Mm. Just one minute a day of joy can really shift you. Like the other day I was walking out of um, my house with a mask on and there's something about wearing a mask on your face that makes you look really tough. Like you've got, you've got this persona, like this is serious, yeah. right? Yeah, this is tough and then. Everyone's going to town. And, yeah. That's it. And then I decided just to smile under my mask. And when I smiled, I started to giggle because I knew no one else could see me smiling, but I had joy smiling through my bloody mask it was just like a simple act and I just had a laugh but no one could see it but I could so those are like these little elements of joy that I'm applying to my life during a pandemic yeah yeah there's some really good 
insights there and and you know obviously you did the ted talk so you managed to get over the imposter syndrome but i really like the the inference of joyful with f-o-o-l do you think then part of overcoming um imposter syndrome is perhaps taking the risk of acting the fool like you mentioned you published a lot of the the behind the scenes piece and and actually that maybe alleviated some of that angst well yeah the two two days before the ted talk when i figured out the joyful because we we know joyful as j-o-w-f-u-l but um, I've returned it as joyful as the person who enacts the joy. Um, so I, I was able to see that because I had the courage to be the fool to fall over first, other people could follow behind me and be the backup dancers and experience joy without having to be in front of the line. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I figured out what my purpose was in life, was that I'll be in front doing silly shit, and, but you can be behind me and experience what I'm feeling, but you don't need to be in front. Um, and that's, that's where it came from with the LinkedIn, the connection with LinkedIn is because I went to the US uh, last year and did a seven-city tour talking about LinkedIn video and talking about Dancing Diana, and I, I had 500 content creators dance with me. Like, what does that mean? Like, what? I didn't put anything into their juices or their wine. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so there was this, some, there was a formula and I figured out in my TED Talk finally why. And that was because I was a joy fool. I allowed, I took the courage to be the fool so that other people could have courage to find joy. So that was like mind bomb blow for me. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, we often hear these days that, you know, the the, the modern day leader has got to be vulnerable, courageous, and authentic. And I think you do all of that when you show your behind the scenes and you just, you know, just being real. Um, and I think it's quite important because, as you say, you know, we often put on these this armor, you know, um, and it's it's hard enough for other people to break it down. But then when you want to break it down, because you've put it on so much, you can't break it down yourself. So you got to chip away at it. Um, but that, that's, that's really, really interesting. So do you want to come I, in there? Yeah. Can I ask you guys, what's, what was your childhood joy? Like you remember doing as a child that made you really excited. Like there's no, there was no, the word no never came into the, into your, your, your memory. For me, I think it was just playing. Um, my, my granddad had this sort of small holding and he had farm animals on it and it was like a sand pit and you could go, you know, uh, chase the rabbits and little, you know, chickens and go hunt little tadpoles and play with the frogs and, you know, go under sort of eat sort of grapes off of the vineyard and things like that. And it was just freedom, I think, for me. Well, that's brilliant, mate. Yeah, I'm very similar. My grandparents had a little hobby farm in Adelaide because I'm an Adelaide boy originally. And um, same thing, we had ducks and geese that used to chase me and we had big Great Danes and lots of woodlands. And But the, the second kind of passion, I think I was drawing, you mentioned you're an entrepreneur and when I was a kid, I used to draw and I was fascinated with Michael Jordan. I was just in, in awe. So that was the time, right? When I was a, a kid, uh, Michael jo- Jordan was in his prime. And I used to then at the end of, at the, at recess at school, I remember when primary school, this is one of my earliest memories. I used to sell those pictures to my, to my classmates. <laughs> my, my recess teachers, like my teachers used to say, Oh yeah, 
just so yeah 15 cents 20 cents back in the day so um yeah i've been an entrepreneur for some time myself um but the, i used to love it i used to think it was fantastic because uh, it meant that every commission i got they're like well can you draw him like this and i'm like yeah and then i'd be i have to go home and figure it out so uh so yeah so i loved i loved being creative and and, and then making a profit from it <laughs> so <laughs> this is quite interesting i love it <laughs> thank you for sharing that 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 made me really happy to hear your joys and i think that's where storytelling is so pivotal like when mm. we go our memories and nostalgia um like you know there's you think about music and you think about movies like immediately it evokes um, a memory and a memory of joy hopefully unless it's like a scary movie (laughs) (laughs) and here's and here's the challenge for us diana is we 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 work in a in an industry where 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 leadership is well i'm not going to say it's not there but it's 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 stifled i think by this front there's no behind the scenes and it's a lot of chaos and you know a, a little bit of humility a little bit of joy as you mentioned um and then sharing behind the scenes pressures and and bringing that forward we, would be a fantastic um kind of cultural shift i think in project management um but we talk about the storytelling piece so so for you and and for our listeners like because we do a lot of presentation, like so, project managers. If, if you don't know, I'll just fill you in. If you don't, know. <laughs> they they have to do a lot of storytelling. So, and it's surprising we don't actually teach it. But Dale and I, we, we talk about it a lot, and we say, well, if you have a project that's a billion dollars, and, and you're responsible for a large section of that, and then you get this input from your team on this is where we're at on this project, and it might not be good news, um, but you've got to figure out how you connect people across the project to, to work on your side, to build an alliance, to build coalition, to build decision-making, and then get to a point where you're all agreement of what the action is going to be. It, that takes a lot of effort. It's a bit like there's a little bit of politics in there. There's a little bit of influence. There's a little bit of charisma. So from a storytelling perspective, I mean, how, how would you unpack it? And is it, is it something you can teach or is it something that you're kind of innately born with? No, uh, Storytelling is in every person, uh, uh, but it is a skill and it does take practice um, because I think what happened, and if we go back to the childhood, and this is, this is my, what I see, as, as children we had imagination and we, had, we grew up with stories or folk stories or our grandparents would tell us, you know, back in my day, that's storytelling, right? But then something happened when we hit our puberty um, and it became me now. What do I want now? <laughs> what are my needs? And and so the, the storytelling shifts to um, imagination, to reality. And I think that's what happened with humans is that we then start living in the, the normal world and we, we kind of forget the imagination. Um, and that's why people go and watch musicals and read books and you know, experience the arts in a different way. But I really do believe that each human being is an art work and each of us has a story, numerous stories. And, it's, and, you know, we've heard about the hero's journey, what got you to where you are now. And we love hero's, hero's journeys because in every bookstore there is a autobiography <laughs> shelf. <laughs> where we... <laughs> oh, yeah. It gets bigger and bigger every year, I think. <laughs> <laughs> And even in podcasts, like there are specific podcasts where it is just one person telling their story. Yeah. That's artwork. Yeah. So 
Um, like I work for a theatre company here in Melbourne called Melbourne Playback Theatre Company and our job simply is we go into corporates, government, community, education. We uh, Four actors sit down and, you know, an audience member comes up on stage and tells their story in 10 minutes. After the 10 minutes, uh, we then change, we convert that story into a performance spontaneously with no rehearsal. Wow. So the magic, the magic is that people think that their stories are boring. Like there is mm. no, uh, uh, it's like, oh, that didn't happen to me. Like I didn't fall into a river and nearly drown. You know, my, my life, so we start comparing our stories yeah. to people that are on those bookshelves. But when you, like when you, like when I asked you that question, what is your joy? Like I saw both of you running around chasing rabbits, um, <laughs> you know, and, and you know, <laughs> you, Val, like selling in the middle of the playground your Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> had, him, had him in my lunchbox. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's, 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 it's that's, that's, that's so beautiful, but people don't think the significance of it. They don't mm. see this of that story that might be who you are now. Like, I don't know, Dale, you've got rabbits in your house. But <laughs> No, not, not now. <laughs> maybe, stove, I should. Maybe. maybe I should. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's those, like, those things travel with us. They, yeah. they, they, they come with us into our adulthood. And, you know, when I go back to the Melbourne Playback Theatre Company, what we do is we bring the imagination out of the story that you think is so boring. We convert it into um, a, you know, a Disney story or a, uh, a Western story. We, we bring the magic to then the audience can go, wow, that's a story. And then yeah. you watching a story go, that's my story. Winning. Brilliant. Um, so everyone has a story. We just don't believe in the magic of it and it's, when you start to write it down. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that, that's great. And um, just touching on your artwork, you know, Val and I always say, you know, we're Picassos. You know, things might not always be in the right place, but someone appreciates it. Um, <laughs> Bloody hell, though. Picasso. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's I'm honoured. I am honoured, mate. Probably a massive stretch, but anyway. Um, just coming back to the whole storytelling bit. So uh, if, if someone's listening to this and go, okay, well, that's great. Like, I can tell my own story. But what if I got to tell a story on, you know, relating it back to projects on stuff that other people are doing, but I'm responsible or accountable for, I was wondering there that then storytelling becomes the output, but the input is listening, right? And understanding and appreciating. What sort of skills do you need to have? Listening skills, um, awareness skills to convert that into that story to be able to tell it. Are there certain tricks of the trade that, that, that you use? I mean, you use that example where you asked the audience and you converted that into their story. Um, I'm fascinated by that conversion process. Oh, that's a good question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a think about it. What I, if, I, if I think about my TED Talk, if I use it as a reference, so everyone go watch my TED Talk. Um, <laughs> and if you do watch TED Talks, it always goes back to a particular story that allowed a movement to happen. Like it, uh, it needs, uh, it needs friction, right? Um, because if you think about humans, we, we essentially 
need four things in our lives, which is love, shelter, food, and sleep, right? So those are our like four universal needs. If you are able to tap into one of those uh, needs, you, you already have the audience with you, right? So example, if we break, let's, let's break down my TED talk, which is um, I talked about the disruption with my family um, and, you know, talking about um, how the art saved my life. Everyone has a family and everyone has a mum and dad and people have different relationships with their parents um, in, different, in different ways. And we've all had a childhood so when I placed that story in my TED Talk, it was a way to drop in to allow the audience to imagine me as this child who was sitting in the garden listening, hearing music for the first time coming through. So what happens with the audience is that they start to listen, but they listen uh, within, they start to picture it. So it's not just like, hey, guys, this is what you need to do or um, this is A, B, C, D. It's another level, and if I can uh, explain it, the conversion is when you convert the story so that the person who is listening imagines themselves to be in that scene too. Like they're, they've got a bird's eye view and they're watching it. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So that's how I find how storytelling connects with an audience when the audience can see themselves in that story. Yeah. That's great because just while as you're chatting there and I'm listening to that, I'm thinking, well, I've been in situations, I'm sure, and I'm, I know Val has as well, where you, you, you are telling a story, um, but sometimes the person that's listening is only hearing what they want to hear. Um, and if that person is a, a person of authority, a decision maker, if they're not hearing the right things, if they're not putting themselves in your shoes, they may react in a different way. Um, and so on projects, that becomes really important because as you conveying with progress on your project or, uh, you know, a bad news story or even a good news story, um, you know, there's so many uh, good news stories that that go sort of, unrecognized, right? Every day on projects, on these mega massive projects that we work in. Um, There's some really great stuff going on and we don't actually celebrate those things at times because perhaps people just aren't listening enough. But then there's also times where the things that go wrong are magnified and actually they're not as large as the things that are going right. And that's why it intrigues me as to us as humans, why we focus on the negative so much all the time. And that brings me into attitude. And I was wondering from your perspective, because I mean, as, as we keep saying, you know, go have a listen to your TED talk to, to listen to your full story. But um, how much, where do you get, you know, this, this joyous attitude from, this positive outlook from, um, you know, it's easy to look at, you know, someone with your backdrop and go, well, it was easy just to have a negative attitude growing up. Where, where did you get your inspiration from? It, it's, a, it's a good question to ask. And if I could just go back to the, pro, when you talked about, project managing and talking to people in projects. Sure. Um, 
Now I've actually forgotten. This is where you probably have to edit me out. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just cut you out from there and carry on talking, Val. That's, that's it. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> um, well, I had a good point in the segue because I'm a bit tipsy now, which is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> More joy. More joy. Yeah. <laughs> More joy. Um, so you're okay. just, I guess, I guess then maybe just touch back on um, the, the attitude side and, and, and where you draw that inspiration from. And we can come back to the whole, the, the project management segue. Yes. Um, so yeah, the question you asked was, where did, where does it come from? I have no idea. I, I really have no idea, but I do know like significant moments in my life that led me to comedy. If we talk about to comedy, because that's how people articulate joy, like, you know, telling jokes. So I started doing that when I was in grade six and I remember standing in front of the classroom in grade six with every, uh, the list of everyone's name on, on the paper and I had a joke for each person. Like I, I, I was just rolling them all out and I knew that when people laughed, it made me feel good. Um, interestingly, in the last 12 months, um, and uh, also I released a web series called Fee and Me and it's about like a Vietnamese tough mum. And it's, it's uh, based on uh, the co-creator, Fiona Chow, my mum, uh, together. And it's based on our experience growing up. After releasing the web series, and it's a comedy, right? It's funny. Uh, it's hilarious. However, when, I, when the web series was over, I remember sitting down and watching it going, oh, my God. If you took out the comedy, this is actually quite horrific. Like this is a very, really dramatic story about abuse. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I realised that I had used comedy as a way to cope. Right. Uh, I had used comedy as a superpower so that you wouldn't see my pain, if that makes sense. And yep. because I yeah, definitely. experienced pain, I didn't want people to feel that pain. So yeah. my job was to make you feel good. And that was, that's, that's been the last 12 months has been discovering that, um, yes, I am funny. Yes, I am joyous. But as we know with comedians, we do, we do have like a, a, a dark underneath that. And we can mm. only be good comedians if we can access that. Yeah. Because there is care. Because the reason why we're funny is because we want people to not feel the deep, dark shit under there. Um, but in saying that, I converted the funny to the word joy. And I feel like that for me um, is more in my being than being a funny person. The, the, the joy is like more of a, my mission in life. If I can mm. create joy, it doesn't mean that I have to be a stand-up comedian on stage. And I think that's why during COVID-19 I've been able to be very productive because instead of relying on the live performance to be funny and make money, I've been able to convert that into what makes me happy every day. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Long story short, that's been my understanding of my joy and um, realizing what it meant. <laughs> there's some there's some good points in there, Diana. Because sorry, I'm just chiming in, Dale. But you know, having that that 
that ability to use a medium like comedy to tell a story that might be tragic if the comedic relief wasn't in there um, and the audience pick it up and it makes it palatable as well. So you can tell really kind of serious stories through humor. And I think that's missing as well in, in professional. I think one of the, one of the difficult things in storytelling is, you, you know, you can't be, you can't be seen to be too personal. It's, it's very rigid a lot of the times and people don't have a personal approach or style when they're in those corporate settings, which I think's, you know, um, changed since COVID, you know, you're seeing a lot more now because everyone's in video conference and you see the dogs, dogs in the background, the kids in the background, everyone's wearing sweatshirts and, and cardigans. And so, so there's a little bit more um, intimacy, even though we're further away from each other, which is really bizarre, but it's, it's actually making people a, a lot more effective. And um, I just wanted to talk about, because we were talking about attitude and it sounds to me that you found your meaning and your meaning is joy and joy brings you meaning. So you've got this like inner core self-sustaining system. And, you know, I talk about this a lot with friends of mine about, you know, happiness is an outside of you. It's something that you've got to create. And, and, the, and, the, and the best way to do that is, is through finding what your purpose and meaning is and having fulfillment and giving back and giving to others. Um, and Dale and I certainly share that, that view. Um, and unless Dale had another question or, or query about that, I was just going to talk about confidence or self-confidence at least, um, if that's right. Uh, and sure. what, so we get, um, I was asking for permission. You see that? Yeah, I, I gave was, it to you. Thank you. Thank you so much, sir. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, Dale and I've gone through lots of teams, big teams of, of project professionals, a lot of young people coming in um, and they, they happen to encounter a really poor leadership model at the start of their career. And then they think that that's what it's like all the time and it affects their confidence. Um, so no one wants to walk into a meeting review and get hammered by leadership because you know, the, the project status was wrong or the report looks wrong or you know, the client isn't happy and, and that affects their confidence and it affects their performance. And so you know, I spend a lot of time with my teams and I know Dale does as well, building them up. Um, uh, and it's a, almost like a game of dominoes because then they go to these meetings and get knocked back down again and it's this, it's this cyclic behavior and it's not a good behavior and we're certainly doing our best um, to kind of disrupt that. Um, but from your perspective, is there any tactics um, and methods into gaining confidence as a person, not necessarily in projects but in general? Yes, totally. One of would be just dancing in the middle of the street and then you will see... <laughs> What it. Um, <laughs> what confidence means? <laughs> I, I don't think we're allowed to in Melbourne, are we? <laughs> no, we're not allowed to. Um, as long as you have a mask on. <laughs> I think for me, uh, I realised I had extraordinary confidence was when I could pull out my phone and start filming a LinkedIn video in the middle middle of Burke Street Mall, which is like a really main strip, and when you know that your confidence is at a high Richter scale because you don't care what people think of you. Mm. That confidence. Exposure. You get that exposure. Yeah. You're focused, mm. you're focused on your mission and, like, guys, I've only realised something in the last two days and I, I wrote it in my LinkedIn post um, today, actually, is that for so long... I felt like the word I felt like the word confidence didn't seem right to me. Like there's there's something that prohibits people 
they go, oh, I'm not confident. So it's like a fail. It's like, oh, like uh, I want to be confident like you. It's, I, I just felt like there was something that stopped people from growing because of the, that word, confidence. So mm. I've now changed the word to courage. Got courage it. is the word because courage means you are willing to step into something for you because courage is no, I felt like confidence was for everyone else. But mm. when you have courage, you do it for you. And when you do it for you, you are, and I believe this is like, when you have the courage to say something or do something, you're, you're trying to shift the world. Mm. It, it doesn't need to be the whole global world, but it just needs to shift energy. So from, from, so my tactic, if we go to that, would be, um, you know, walk down a supermarket aisle and just tap your feet, just move your, move your hips. Like it doesn't need to be about standing in front of people. It just needs mm. to be about you taking the courage to do something that, um, that gives you, that you, so, that, um, so I find that with presentation there is a massive gap because people who need to present in front of a boardroom or in front of, you know, to get a, to get a promotion, they have to sit in front of a room and tell, you know, mm. the, the boss, give me a promotion, that there is a gap I find where it's like this forcedness to be someone, this confidence makes you go, uh, uh, it feels robotic for me, the confidence. But when you have courage, I feel like it's like a full experience. When you have courage to tell your story. Um, and the only reason why I have known, like figured this out in the last two days is like I've got a spiritual coach who's helped me understand who I am and what I am. Mm. Um, and that's, that's another podcast, I reckon. Um, yeah. but <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> yes. But, yeah, for me, confidence is courage, courage to be in your own self, to tell your own story. Um, yeah, it, it's just to, to be you. That's great. I think if I added to that, I think for those listening, confidence or, or courage does not mean arrogance because we, we've seen it as well where, you know, you go, oh, that person's overconfident and it's too much and, you know, and there's a, there's a line to be drawn as well, isn't there? And um, I, I think that that kind of takes us into, you know, I don't want to um, make this podcast about injustices or anything like that, although we do like to have a good rant about, you know, what goes wrong on projects. But just if, you know, we, we go down a bit of a rabbit hole, um, you know, in, in the world today, there's a lot about Black Lives Matter, you know, woman power, getting, you know, more women into leadership roles and things like that. And I was wondering just on your take in terms of, is there such thing as too much when it comes, when it comes to these injustices? I mean, we're all for things being corrected, you know, the, 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 the wrongs of the past being righted. But can you, can you tip the scales too far in the, in the opposite direction and can it almost become cult-like in a way? Um, I was just wondering, you know, I didn't want to turn this into that kind of a pod, but while we've got you on yeah, why not ask the question? Look, I think it's really important and really relevant and I think we need to have more discussions about it because I feel like we are too left or too right yeah. and if we can just talk and debate and I'm not going to kill you after this, we're fine. 
Yeah. Um, and I think that's, um, I think a lot of us have lost, lost this skill, which is called compassionate listening. Mm. We have totally lost this skill to just listen. And look, I'm learning this skill as well because um, I'm a lefty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all Black Lives Matter. I'm all about feminism. I'm all about diversity. But I have also had to learn to be compassionate about people on the right. Um, because if we don't upskill our brains to have the whole, uh, to know everything, then that's when we become arrogant. That's where that word comes in, like yeah. ignorance and arrogance. Like um, we choose not to because we think this is the way the world should be. Yeah. But when we have an opportunity to understand everything and have an opinion, I think that um, if we go back to the word courage, I think that's massive courage to do that. Um, and I think a lot of people need to have more compassionate listening skills um, because I think we're going to lose a lot of friends during this pandemic from what I'm seeing on the news and on social media. It's dividing like, households, isn't it? It, it is. It yeah. is really, it's yeah. really disappointing. Like I've, um, yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking for me that we're losing friendships because of disagreements. Mm. Mm. And uh, you, you talk about compassionate listening and, and, you know, previously on this pod, Val and I have spoken with guests about empathetic listening as well and having empathy for the other side. But I was wondering while you were chatting there as a comedian, though, does the content that's happening, does it make it easier or more difficult to, to you know, use this, this subject on stage? Well, unfortunately, my comedy festival show was cancelled a week before a week before it opened because COVID shut it down. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and it was called Chasing Keanu Reeves. Um, <laughs> is he in the Matrix? It'll be really difficult. <laughs> yeah, he's in the Matrix somewhere right now. Um, I guess for me, um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Dale, but I forgot your question already. <laughs> It's it's how easy or difficult, you know, it becomes uh, in terms of using the content on the stage when you're a comedian. Um, and you're saying your uh, your show got yeah. cancelled, yeah. Yeah, so I didn't I didn't get the opportunity to play with that. And I think that's one thing that I've, I've mourned. Because we're in this pandemic, oh, my God, there's so many juicy things we could be talking about, but we're not having the opportunity to. Yeah. And... Uh, a lot of artists and comedians are frustrated because our livelihoods have been taken away from us. Um, but with example, like I, I did the March for Black Lives Matter a um, couple of months ago and I didn't do it purely for the Americans but I did it for um, Indigenous Australians yeah. um, because I, I am privileged. I am a privileged Asian. Uh, I have really understood that... Um, my mum came in on a boat and she was given welfare. She was supported. She was helped with a settlement. She never, she struggled, but she was never homeless. Um, and I, that's a privilege yeah. that white people have given to the Vietnamese refugee community. Uh, and I, I'm devastated that, um, that black lives in Australia continue uh, 
continue to, uh, I don't know, it's 2020 and we still have yeah. um, kids being incarcerated and we have, um, you know, our First Nations people dying in prison or being arrested uh, just purely for their colour. Um, and that's what I do in my comedy. I, uh, I'm cutting. I, I don't just do jokes, but I talk about the shit. And like in my last show, Dirty Diana, I talked about not trusting men. Um, and, you know, you talked about the cult of um, women and feminism and stuff. It, it all comes from history and how history has repeated over and over and over again. And we're just tired of it. And I hope it's not a cult because, I, I, you know, I think we all want to live in a, equality and we want to have, you know, the same ratio of CEOs uh, running companies. However, you know, we are, women were endowed with pregnancies. Like I wish men could get pregnant too so they could understand, but that's the imbalance, I guess, um, that men could never understand what it's like to be a woman in business. Um, but, but, yeah, in my comedy festival, uh, in my comedy festival show last year called Dirty Diana, I talked about, I came out on stage and there were, and it, it was in Edinburgh, I was forming the Edinburgh Fringe. There were uh, shows called, called Naked. I walked out onto stage and on, in the audience were only six men. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And my brain freaked out. Like, why are these six men in the audience? We're the women. Like I started to have this massive fear um, and it took me a year to realise that I didn't trust men in that moment. Mm. Um, however, those six men, they stayed with me for the full hour show and um, it allowed me to trust men and I think that's where, where I had to reflect my brain. That makes sense. Yeah, like yeah. I had perception of men uh, mm -hmm. but in a particular way, but I had to reach, I had to relearn my own perceptions of men and women. Um, yeah, so that's been my stand-up history and how I incorporate comedy into my storytelling. Wow, that's, um, thanks for sharing that. that. That's really insightful because I think we all have challenges that we've got, you know, internal challenges that we're constantly reevaluating our thought patterns and the way we view the world. Um, and I guess, you know, my take from that in the project sphere is that maybe we all should bring a bit of comedy into the way we tell stories as well. You know, mm -hmm. that yes, they are challenging things. Um, but if you keep a bit of um, sense of humor about what you're doing, it makes things a little bit more joyful as, you know, to bring it back. Um, also, just relating to it a little bit, you know, being, being from South Africa myself, you know, we often spoke about the wrongs of apartheid and, um, you know, uh, and, and almost the... Uh, in some ways, some views are that it's the opposite happening now where there's quota systems in sports teams. And we're saying, well, that's all well and good, but, you know, judge everyone by the, on merit and their ability. And so Val and I have previously spoken about this. We couldn't care if you yeah. men, women, black, white, doesn't matter what, you know, where you're from, how old you are, how young you are. If you're good enough, then you're good enough, right? Yeah. Then you're old enough or you're experienced enough or you're the right sex or you're the right color. Um, if you're good enough, that that's what you should be measured on. Um, mm. So, uh, so, so thank you so much for sharing that. Um, but it brings me to a point where um, we've heard it quite a, quite a bit on the pod now, 
the snort and snortcast. Um, yeah. I'd love for you to share a, a bit uh, on on your podcast, snortcast, and, and what it's about. Um. So, as I said, I've been on LinkedIn for three years, and uh, I unfortunately um, snorted on my videos and forgot to edit them out because uh, I was bullied when I was in high school. I recently did a video and talked about it where imagine this in grade eight, you're in the cool group. You're like you're trying to be cool and it's winter and you have a cold. And while laughing, you, you laugh so hard that a, a bubble comes out of your nose. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone sees it. (laughs) Like it comes out. And it goes back in like a bubble gum. <laughs> um, and, and then I got, I got bullied and called the bubble girl and then I moved from the cool group and went to another girl group and these girls are still my friends till today. So this is in grade eight. So thank God that happened because I still have this amazing friendship group who I talk daily on WhatsApp with. Um, but, yeah, so I... I forgot to edit out these snorts on LinkedIn and people were like starting to put pig emojis on my LinkedIn. And I was like, oh no, I'm getting bullied again. I'm getting bullied. Oh no. <laughs> like, no. Um, but then um, a good friend of mine, String Nguyen, she was like, no, no, no. People find this really endearing. Like, they're not bullying you. They, they actually like it. And yeah. it created a community on LinkedIn called Embrace the Snort. So you actually, if you put the hashtag embrace the snort, there's a community of people who follow it and um, love it when I snort. And because of that, I, I'm really good at branding. Yeah. So, you know, if it's unique, you take it. So yeah. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, last year I decided, I mean, you know, we talked about gender diversity. I launched a new lineup show here in Melbourne, a comedy lineup show called The Snortcast Comedy, where I uh, curated a lineup every night with 50% women, 50% men of all cultural diverse backgrounds. I, I just wanted to prove to everyone that lineups can be curated. It doesn't need to be 10 white men and one token Asian. <laughs> I just wanted to prove that you can have diverse stories you, and it that doesn't mean that you have to be from Asia to be diverse. You can be, you know, um, gay, trans. Um, I, I'm, I'm like I want to get more uh, performers who are, um, who are disabled, uh, mm-hmm. a, uh, not able-bodied, is that, I think that's the right word, um, to perform in my lineup. And I did that as a task for myself to prove to people that, you can have equality if you make it as a choice, right? This is a choice. You make the choice. And that was my choice. And it was so successful. Um, and I also I was really adamant on having um, a show called Deadly and Diverse. And I really do believe the moment we acknowledge our First Nations people, we need to have them on every panel we need to have them on every show. We need them to be in the forefront um, to be part of the discussion about life because I think that's what we've been fighting for when we talk about storytelling is that when you tell your story, 
you become visible. Like you, it becomes uniquely you. And for me, when I hear my friends who are Aboriginal and hear their experiences of um, of the, the history and, you know, the stolen generation and the ramifications of it affecting generations after generations after generations, that for me is it very powerful and important to my mission. Um, so, yeah, so going back to the Snortcast, I did that show, uh, the Snortcast Comedy, and then uh, in March, April during the during the pandemic, I was like, I need to do a podcast. <laughs> Everyone's doing a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and a couple of months ago, someone had suggested the Snortcast, um, but I just didn't have the balls to do it. And I don't know how long you guys took to actually get the podcast set, set up. But, yeah, it took me from March, April thinking for really thinking about it to July launching the, the Snortcast. And... I found the mission, which was in a pandemic, we need a laugh. Mm. But we also, this is what's been missing and that's why I talk about it on my LinkedIn and that's why I create a community is that people assume when comedians go on stage, they, they just do it uh, off the cuff. But it's scripted. They have worked for months on this script. They have done lineups every night, like at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, testing out their material. And then they have that show which sells out during the comedy festival. And so the Snortcast is talking about what inspired them to go into, into comedy, but how they use comedy into their storytelling to make it funny. And everyone, I know everyone, I know you, Dale and Vale, you, <laughs> you all want to be funny because it is this beautiful net when you uh, let go, it brings the whole room together. It, it's so magical. It is like this magical superpower uh, when you can make another human laugh. Um, and so that's, that's the mission of the Snortcast is to talk about comedy and how you can use comedy in your storytelling. Now that's brilliant. Um, just, just a couple of comments uh, before I hand to Val on what you said there um, that resonated. So the one with the diversity one, I think you're right. It, it takes all, you know, as you say, all backgrounds, cultures, you know, skin colors to, to make a difference. And a point I raised recently was everyone knows that Nelson Mandela won the Nobel Peace Prize, but not a lot of people know that he won it jointly with the white president at the time, F.W. de Klerk. Um, so it, take, it took a white man and a black man to end apartheid, not just, you know, one. So mm. it's things like that that people often forget. And, and so that resonated with me that, you know, you, you create diversity. You don't just expect it to happen. And then secondly, um, I have a very good friend, Tina. I'll give her a shout out. She'd love to hear your whole snortcast because she's very similar to you, has a fantastic laugh, and then just has that snort with it as well. So I'm sure she listened to it. And anyone else I think should go out there and listen to the snortcast. But anyway, well, over to you. Yeah, no, it's it's been great listening and uh, and hearing your story and the passion coming across. Um, and and you know, diversity is important. And recognizing First Nations as an Australian, we should. Um, and and I, I always go back to education. And we we just haven't got education right in this country or any Western country. We don't spend enough time recognizing where we come from, where we're going, how to deal with life, um, and the number of things that we're talking about today. Like, how do you find joy? Let's not worry about what career you're going to go down. Because to be honest, the jobs that you want 
probably haven't been even been invented yet. And we know that from the last five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. So career is kind of an ambiguous statement to say, I don't, I don't ask my kids what they're going to do when they grow up. I just want them to be, as you said, joyful and yeah. um, appreciative and have empathy for others and all that kind of uh, beautiful stuff and humor, of course. Um, and the, you mentioned a few things about diversity. I think diversity is really good. I'm, 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 a, you know, I'm, I'm a progressive liberal, but I, 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 there's a lot of things that I agree from a social perspective. And, and I think, you know, inclusivity is really important. We, we've had some discussions about this with Dale and just making sure that everyone has the right level of opportunity is, is such a, you know, something that both sides can agree. I think without having to get into discourse, it's like everybody should be given the right level of opportunity. And it's like, well, to get that level of quality first is quite difficult. Um, and I think that's the first hurdle. And then, then, one, then you can talk about other, other diversities, but um, that's, that's a key for projects as well. It's very difficult, I think, in, in our space in projects because, you know, engineering and, you know, the, the kind of technical roles aren't necessarily something that, you know, a lot of females have gravi- gravitated towards and there's a lot of encouragement to make sure that they do and then they get the opportunities to be in those roles. I think it's really important. Um, and speaking to some of my female friends who have done quite well in project controls and project management and PMO, um, we talk about resilience a lot because they've got to put up with a lot. Um, yeah. And it's not just uh, one-sided or mansplaining or anything like that. It's more just um, almost like they have to prove a little bit harder than everybody else. And that could be anyone in a, in a, in a minority. It doesn't have to be female. It could be, you know, someone of color or someone from an indigenous background. You know, they have to almost try a little bit harder. And I'm just wondering if, if that's your point and, and your experience as well. And, and uh, what's your view on resilience? Because you've, you obviously you've had challenges and struggles. And I'd love to get your, your thoughts on that. Well, I make a joke about my history in the industry as an actor here in Australia. Um, like I've been on Underbelly for 20 seconds, on Please Like Me for 20 seconds. I was on Jack Irish 20 <laughs> seconds um, because I'm a diverse actor. <laughs> like, <laughs> you fit the script. <laughs> I did. All, all the roles were like Asian roles um, and they were Japanese, um, a Thai, and I think it was a bit of me. So you know, I've got diversity there. but when you're always forging um, as the the door breaker, you forget the joy. And I I have to be honest, for a good eight to ten years, I was exhausted by being that door knocker. Um, but But I knew that if I didn't do this, then the next 20 years, next generation of actors who are Asian will have to keep knocking the door. So I have decided that it's my job to pound as hard as I can. Um, And, you know, you talked about um, when you're a minority, you do have to, there is this um, pressure to speak more than usual. (laughs) Mm. Like you become the face of the the Asian woman. You become the face. So um, I'm not going to name the the workplace, but recently I did a workshop um, where it was 20 people. Uh, it was an IT company, um, 19 men and one woman. Yeah. And when I think of that, I think, and, and it was a, a great workplace, really friendly. Everyone was, you know, jolly and it, it felt like it had a good culture. However, 
I think about that woman and how she has to, uh, how she has to manoeuvre herself to fit into these 19, this, this man kind of um, uh, culture because that's another culture of itself. Like work, there's work culture and then there's gender culture. Like the men and women do think differently and we do need, that's why marriages work. <laughs> men think one way, women think the other way. You come together, yin and yang, right? But when, the, when it's so male-dominated, the woman really has to hop over and kind of negate her, negate her femininity to, to fit into this male culture. And when we, when we decide to have balance of, you know, um, of men and women, I get it with IT, it is, am I making an assumption it is more male-dominated? Most technical roles in general are, I mean, whereas more of the social sciences and humanities are female. So there is a balance at, at the whole, I think. But, but from a project specific, when it's mostly a technical construction or infrastructure project, yes. and you say, and let's say you say you want quotas, you want 50 50, um, you're actually you're picking minority over competence in a way because of the statistics. So the numbers don't add up. It's not, it's not an easy target to do. And therefore, you, you either concede on competency in order to bring up a minority or you do the other way around and so that's why i think equality of opportunity is you know um or equal opportunity is, is important but not necessarily not necessarily outcome yes um, how, but, but, how, how would you rectify like how would you balance that because when i think about that scenario of this one woman and 19 men do you think there is an equal balance in that culture well, it's it's hard to it's hard to tell on the spot. Um, we, what mm. we need is we need better data, and and there just not isn't there isn't enough of it. And you know we're in a really strange, specifically with COVID misinformation and the amount of crap that is on social media. No offense to LinkedIn and the rest of them, they are great <laughs> tools as well. Uh, <laughs> but they but they are misinforming a lot of people about situations and. You know, so one of the things I, as a responsible father, and I'm sure as a responsible parent, we, what we want to do is, is teach children how to research and how to be critical thinkers and, and how to source information and make rational decisions and not just click on, um, you know, the things that discuss, you know, we're easily swayed, if you like, because if there's a cause and it sounds like it's important and it, and it resonates with our experience and we're, we're quick to join up or sign that, sign that waiver or sign that petition without actually thinking about what we're doing and what we're standing up for. And so it's really, it's really interesting. Uh, I think it's a really interesting climate. Like you said, it's 2020 and we're still having these conversations and it's important that both sides have discourse and they discuss it and there's, there's rational thought and there's exchange of ideas because there isn't an easy option. I wouldn't ever believe that I could come up with a solution for you, Diana, right here and now. But I'd love to be part of a group of of many diverse backgrounds to, like you said, to come up with something, you know, we need yeah. more thought leaders and, and knowledge workers in this space. No, I was just saying, no, thanks for saying that. Um, because I think Val, you made a really good point and that's, that's a really good reminder for me because I assume that equality means 50, 50, but it does mean, uh, what is the data showing instead of going, this is my imaginary world and I want quality for everyone. But, yeah, you made a really good point, and it's fact that there aren't many women in, I, in IT. And, you know, we thought, think about other industries like 
um, nursing, like that's predominantly women and, you know, so, yeah, thanks for Thanks for pulling me up on that. So good. No, no, and, and it's no, it's it's. I mean, there's. I, I research a lot of this. My my passion just. I hadn't put it in there, but I'm I'm studying business psychology at the moment. So, one of the things I'm trying to do is is do a bit of data science and business psychology because there's not a lot of formidable evidence to suggest that quotas won't work. You know that maybe that does. Um, but it, like you said before, male and females do have a tendency to think a little bit different. Um, you know, uh, men are a lot more. Um, not a lot more, but they're definitely more industrious, whereas, whereas females are a lot more compassionate. And that's just, that is statistic, that is data-backed. And, and you, so you find females in more compassionate roles and you find men in more industrious roles. And so, but, but there's no reason why that can't change over time. Um, what, what, what ends up happening, and just on that, that final note before I hand to Dale, is what ends up happening is if you're trying to force social constructs, then then we, we are, we're trying to fabricate a world that may, not, may or may not work and it, it could be a disastrous experiment or it could be a fantastic one, but, you know, it, it's, it's all that future space stuff and a lot of people are very sensitive about that talk about, but it's good to talk about it and bring it to the surface, behind the yeah. scenes. Man. <laughs> well, Dale? Can I, can I just yeah, yeah, jump in. Jump in. Dale, sorry, Dale. No, I go ahead. Interrupt. You have permission. Which is... <laughs> <laughs> If I just needed to refer back to my industry with this stand-up and in stand-up, um, you know, men and women can talk and there are men and women who um, are doing comedy and I, I should have just used my own reference as my, my own workplace, which is that um, that's where you can have 50-50 when you make it as a choice to. So, yeah. Mm. So that's just me going back to my own diet talk about what you're no, instead of <laughs> what what you think the world should be. So yeah, thanks yeah. for that. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. Um, and and I think it's important. I was just thinking there when you asked that question originally, Diana, about um, you know if you have you know the nine men and one woman, you know, um, is it equal? We'd probably be having the same conversation if there were nine women and one man, and saying is that yeah. equality as well? So yeah, good points all around. So uh, so thanks for sharing that. Um, so. As we look to wrap up the pod, um, I'm going to try and recap. There's, there's such a lot. Um, you know, it, it, I, th- I think first off, people need to go and Google you. Just put your name in into Google and, and, and see how much there is. Um, it's amazing, honestly. If you just want a little bit of inspiration, go and have a look at some of the stuff Diana's done. Um, but we, we spoke about storytelling. We st- spoke a, bit, a little bit about resilience, uh, communication styles. We touched on diversity as well. There's a lot there, and it's a lot that relates to the project environment as well. So I think you know our community of project management uh, professionals. I, I think certainly will draw a lot from that. Um, and and also you know if all else fails, bring a bit of humour into what you do. It doesn't have to be just in your reporting or your storytelling, but just in your everyday life. It'll just make the day much better. Um, even if you, as you say, if it's just for you know 30 seconds or a minute or whatever it is. Just do that um, for your for your own sanity, I guess. Um, but before we end, Diana, were there any final words, thoughts, topics, opinions you want to leave us with? When <laughs> when you said um, go Google Diana, because I'm single. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've been on the dating apps, and so when I've said to people on the dating apps, I'm a comedian. That's what they do. They go fucking Google me. And <laughs> And then my whole history comes up on a freaking page and then it turns me off and I potentially lose a husband. Um, but 
<laughs> but um, yeah, you know, it's it is the internet, and my life is online. Um, but uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for that wrap up because I think what really stood out to me, and I feel like for anyone that's listening, if you really want to take something from this, is um, you know, take pride in your story and and own it. It's called ownership. Um, and, and take the courage to tell someone your story. And that's one thing um, that I, it took me a really long time, a really long time not to take ownership was my mother's story. And, you know, that's why I made that web series was to say thank you to my mum. And, and it was only through storytelling and ownership of my culture and who I am um, that I've been able to do it. So, you know, take the courage to own your story and please tell someone your story because that's the first step of um, standing in yourself. So, yeah, thanks for um, allowing me to share that. <laughs> no, thank you for, for, for you know, sharing your, your story, your insights and, and your time with us. And hopefully the Project Chatter can find your husband and uh, we'd love to have you back and maybe next time uh, we'll have you and your husband on. <laughs> Belle, any final words from you? No, I just, I just just one more takeaway. I thought it was really good that stuck with me, Diana, was uh, confidence to courage. Um, I think that'll last. And I think that's a really good point to raise to those that are listening. Um, you know, being a project professional is tough. It's, it's a tough job. And um, so we're giving you permission to challenge yourself um, and do something wacky, crazy. Um, if it's a video on LinkedIn, go for it. Um, we'd love to hear if you want to tag us in there. There's a nice challenge for you. Tag Diana and uh, Project Chatter in any um professional videos if you're looking for work as well at the moment i think that's a really good point as well get a video cv up there and and uh have courage um because uh, the world is is quite receptive at the moment and, and everyone's a lot more empathetic than they used to be before covid so thanks diana for your insight it's been a pleasure thanks val uh well folks that's all we have time for on this episode but if you want more it doesn't have to stop yet Subscribe via our website and you'll get a link to our online community where you can chat directly to Val, myself, our expert guests, and all the other community members. For more information, blogs, and previous podcasts, check out projectchatterpodcast.com. A massive thank you to Diana Nien. It was such a pleasure and privilege to, to chat to you, Diana. Thanks, as always, to Val, and thank you all for listening. Till next time, we say stay safe, be disruptive, and have fun doing it. It's bye for now. The views, thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the participating individuals and not necessarily to the individual's employer, organization, committee or other group or individual. Additionally, any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company or individual.